welcome to Who Killed Donald T. Johnson, a progressive murder mystery podcast. Episode 4, Minnows and Big Fish. Men like the Epstein, Packer and Murdoch have suffered recently through the eyes of the media and words like corrupt and villain are now attached to them forever. But can you imagine what sort of person could be created out of an amalgamation of all of them? We have, and his name is Donald T. Johnson. Not surprisingly, a great many people want to kill him. Our villain was never far away from gambling casinos, so it is not surprising he was heavily involved in the Hong Kong changeover in 1997. He was also around in 2016, when 18 casino employees were detained for breaking Chinese gambling laws. And of course, that led to an inquiry that found Crown Resorts not suitable to hold a New South Wales casino licence. My name is Li Hua. I was not as pretty as my friend Ming Mei, which is why I am alive today. I am Wang Wei, son of Wang Weijiang. My father was very rich, had four wives and 14 children. I am a tenth son, so had the job of protecting my older brothers. It was life of privilege so long as I always observe family tradition. My name, Bao. I was the second son with four younger sisters. My job was to provide food and shelter for the family. That too was a family tradition. The following story really began in Hong Kong in 1997 and may well have ended in 2018. But we are mostly interested in what went on in between. Hong Kong was seized from China in the mid-19th century and established as a British colony, where it became a port for the free movement of goods and capital. It was always understood that on the 1st of July 1997, Sovereignty over the British colony of Hong Kong would be formally transferred to China, posing questions of how this would affect Hong Kong's future trade with the free world, especially as China had strict limits on how much money could be taken out of the country at any time. It opened up two highly lucrative sources of shady business, gambling and money laundering. The former begins in Macau, and the latter can rear its head all over the world. We are about to tell you a story about minnows and big fish. The minnows are the thousands of people trapped in poverty who will go beyond their moral compass in order to survive. The big fish are the ones who, through family, fame or fortune, have made it, almost, to the top. 
They control the lives of the minnows by supplying opportunities to escape from the shoal. But they too can sometimes be at the mercy of bigger predators, the whales, the ones really at the top. Whales can lose thousands of dollars on a flutter or a whim over lunch, and a million that same night before dinner. Then, long into the night, the serious gambling begins. There aren't many of them, but their control is all-powerful. They too share something in common. They are bored easily and so are constantly on the lookout for novelty, a new adventure, a new place in which to lose their money. And in 2004, a new casino opened up in Melbourne, Australia, which ticked all the boxes. Most people have heard of us, but not entirely sure what we do. Sometimes the line in the sand is difficult for us to find too. I mean, there are hundreds of national central bureaus around the world employing thousands of operatives. They coordinate their efforts to bring crime gangs to justice. Many of them belong to triad groups. There are thousands of triads operating all over the world. The Sun Yi On alone has over 250,000 members. While it's not acknowledged officially, some Interpol agents work undercover. They go out of their way to infiltrate organizations, sometimes working for years, secretly assessing criminal activities and passing it on to the appropriate country or agencies. Bo Zhang was one such agent. I had been working for 20 years as a security guard for Huang Huijian, an operator for a few smaller casinos in Macau. For ten of them, I had been an Interpol agent too. I knew that I would only have one chance to break my cover, so needed to bide my time for a chance to do something that would really make a difference. I always hoped that before then I would have found my sister, Ming Mei, who had disappeared when she was fourteen. We feared she had been sold into the sex trade, in which case she was as good as dead. Legalities prohibit us using real names. But suffice to say that families who were wealthy back in 1997 have become wealthier. Yet conversely, the poor have remained poor, abused, neglected, and, when of no further use to the corporations, rejected. Being son of a wealthy man meant that I had an opportunity to be educated in an elite school in Melbourne. It was 10 years after my brother Wang had attended. Even back then, there were rumors uh, that first my father, then later my brother, were a member of Sonion Triad. It made my life difficult at school, and later, when back home in Hong Kong, I had little job prospect other than serve the family business. In 2001, the 40-year monopoly of the infamous Stanley Ho family was ended. Now the market was open. An industry that had been bad for years was suddenly worse. Of course, like everything else, that is only a point of view. 
depending on whether you are a minnow, worker, caught in the net of crime and corruption, or a big fish operator, running one of the many multinational casinos. I had been friends with Ming Mei since school when we decided to find work in a local clothing factory. But the money was low, and we were told we could earn much more in a local casino. Our job would be to encourage the high rollers to spend more money. Ming Mei's beauty attracted some big fish who decided to sell her to one of the whales. She disappeared soon after we began working. Fortunately, I was not pretty enough to be considered for the sex industry, but my accounting skills and good English were useful as a croupier, where I was taught how to scam at the tables. I was lucky. My limited looks of youth faded quickly, but my accounting skills increased. I was taken away from the public eye. Then I gradually gained promotion, and in 2009 was part of a team invited to Melbourne for the opening of the big casino. Of course, gambling in itself is not illegal, nor is all the merchandising of products and services. Hotels, luxurious cars, beautiful women, expensive clothes and jewellery. They can run as perfectly legitimate businesses. And they are all perfect covers for junket operators to move large amounts of money around. Which makes it essential for Macau-based junkets to have some sort of relationship with criminal triad gangsters who are needed to act as security for the transportation of cash, bodyguards for their VIP clients, prostitution and narcotics, and debt collecting. Which brings us back to Interpol. Interpol must abide by strict rules of negotiation. We must not be political. But the moment we knew of a big casino being offered as a novelty alternative to the Macau high rollers, we knew that with the best intentions in the world there would be underlying crime and corruption. I only just left school in 2009 when there were family talk that I should return to Melbourne to take part in establishing our interests in a big casino being built. I insist that I only be involved in the legitimate side of the operation, the setting up of luxury tour package, beauty parlor for the women, Uh, connection with high dining. That's why I met you all. We were part of a team that ensured there were constant entertainment for the wife and girlfriend of the gambler, all of which were expected to be available to the high rollers. I hope it maybe could lead to a permanent position away from the family operation, and it did for a while. I had met up with Huang from time to time at business conferences. By now, the casino was built and operating smoothly, and Huang and I worked together, arranging entertainment for the wives and girlfriends while the men were gambling or discussing further business. I could sense he was unhappy being associated with a family who had only a veneer of real respectability. His brother, Wong, was mixing with people like Jeffrey Epson and Donald Johnson, 
both of whom were widely known in undercover criminal circles. For a year or so, Lihua travelled backwards and forwards to Melbourne, Australia, and sometimes Hong Kong. There was even talk of a new casino being built in Perth. One day, I was woken up early in the morning in my Macau apartment and taken by Chinese police to the mainland. They interrogated me for three days until finally convinced that I knew nothing of the more intricate, high-end workings of the money laundering associated with the casinos, which was true. But even if I had, it would have been more than my life is worth to tell. Early in my recruitment, I had been told never to divulge any sensitive information to anyone, including the police. I was told the penalty would be severe, yet I had also been told that if anything should happen, I would be looked after by the casino. But when confronted with the police, suddenly nobody knew of me or had ever heard of me. I was wiped clean from any connections with them. But again, I was lucky. I was thrown in jail, which was a form of protection against being looked after from outside. We knew there were hundreds of young people simply rotting in jail, all with the same story. All were poor, with families relying on them for food and shelter. For the girls, it would begin first with them being recruited for the sex trade probably at 15, because by 18, they would be considered too old. If they were lucky, they could then begin recruiting other young girls. If not, they may become pregnant with little hope for survival of themselves and their unborn child. I met up again with Ming Mai in jail, but I hardly recognized her. She looked like an old woman, unwashed, disgusting sores. I'm badly undernourished. Because of her beauty and virginity, a prized possession, Mingmi had been auctioned off to the highest bidder. A popular sport and entertainment for wealthy businessmen. Yes, sex auctions. Which brings us to a figure of prime interest to Interpol, who we will simply refer to as... The Don. The Don was a known germophile, and while almost addicted to sex and perversion would only cohabit with virgins, he would use and abuse them almost like sex slaves, and then, when tired of them, simply pass them on to a crony as a gift. Of course, by then, the girls would be addicted to some form of substance abuse and be even more reliant on a benefactor. They would be passed down the line until disease, Pregnancy or addiction left them little more than barely functioning. It was the same story everywhere. We knew of the existence of the triad. We even had names, but we never had proof. But we had managed to get an undercover agent to Ming Mia, and she was able to confirm some of the names involved in money laundering. And with all his supposed legal enterprises, the Don was top of the list. I would rather not linger on those six months in jail. 
suffice to say. They were unpleasant and at times painful. However, the hours in horrendous conditions also gave me the opportunity to have conversations with people who knew, well, things better unsaid here right now. Anyway, it was finally agreed that as I had nothing to say, I would be set free. I was petrified. I knew I wouldn't last long outside, unprotected. So, a few days before my release, I began to let slip to the other 18 girls that I had got some valuable information from those interrogations. As I suspected, the word went around like wildfire. Rumors began to circulate that I wanted to talk with some of the Mr. Biggs in order to do a deal, that I was to be a go-between for the police. We'd heard about this, of course, and had no idea what it was about. I mean, as far as we knew, no one on our side had said anything about deals. While most people had heard of Interpol, few really knew about our charter. Quite simply, we have to remain politically neutral and are barred from intervention or activities of a political, military, religious, or racial nature. But we may provide direct contact between police in different nations and an interchange of information and data collection. And this is particularly useful when it comes to money laundering, as our databases can track criminals and crime trends around the world. I was very nervous the day I was set free. I had no idea what would happen or even what side would pick me up first. But within a day of my release from jail, I was intercepted by two men who hustled me into a car. I was blindfolded and driven out of the city. After about an hour, we stopped. I was guided into a room. I was not hurt or roughed up in any way simply told, most emphatically, to stay where I was and follow orders. Of course, I had no idea what was said at that meeting, and in fact nearly blew my cover when I heard she had known my sister, because somehow Li Hua managed to convince Hang Hui Jian that she had information about Interpol agents within the company. And somehow... She was able to strike up a deal to say she would tell all, so long as she could talk to all members of the triad at the same time. It had been widely known that a large number of triad dragonheads were going to have an informal meeting at Portland Place, one of the London homes of the Don. Some of them were involved in various entertainments as part of the royal wedding amusements. Then the evening would end with a celebrity dinner. Because I could speak impeccable English, I was chosen to accompany Li Hua to London. I was also expected to get rid of her as soon as she was of no further value. It was a dangerous operation, because at that stage, Boa was still undercover, and we were tempted to intercept her, just in case she really had this insider information about our organisation. As number one son, my brother had decided to vacation in London in April, so he would be there for a royal wedding celebration 
in representative family at some of the business function that will be arranged for the same time. At number 10th son, I had no real value uh, other than to make sure all arrangement ran smoothly. This included evening entertainment, well, one of this to be a sex auction. Uh, at least a dozen young girls will be smuggled in for enjoyment of the old men, the patriarch uh, of number one families. It was sickening. When given the job to accompany Li Hua, we had plenty of time to talk, although both of us were careful not to give the other any real information about what we had done for the company. It seems ironical, looking back, that I had bluffed my way out of prison, then away from the company, by pretending I knew of members of Interpol. Yet, at the same time, my warder was, in fact, an Interpol agent, undercover. As both escort and security guard, I was given fake visas for myself and Li Hua, and told we would have little trouble on entering Heathrow Airport due to being in a private jet. It took 15 hours travelling time, and by the time we arrived, I knew that all the anger I had been harbouring for so many years now had a chance to be used. I hadn't really got a plan. I never had. Just an idea of what I wanted to do. Mostly, that was to simply escape from the triad and be able to go to what I thought and hoped was a sympathetic government. Meeting up with Bao changed all that. His love for Ming Mai seemed genuine, and when I told him what she had gone through, both in jail and then afterwards, he was full of anguish. We fired each other up with ideas of revenge against all the big fish. I had seen too many young girls have their lives ruined by these Mr. Biggs of the corporate world and the dragon head triads. My own sister had been one of them. When she was no longer attractive and addicted to drugs, Ming Mai had first been left to rot on the streets before being picked up by officials and tortured about company activities. I just needed the right time to let that anger out, and it had come. At first, Bao said that he would find a way to let me go as soon as we got to England. But we both knew that if he did, he would no longer be able to work for Interpol. And more than likely, both of us would be hounded by members of the triad. Li Hua was an intelligent, brave woman. At first it was just idle talk. Also, we had not taken into account the fact that so many celebrities would be in London. So security everywhere was at a premium. Of course, we had heard rumours that a Chinese woman was preparing to spill the beans about Interpol, but at the same time felt sure she must be bluffing. Even so, we decided to keep an eye on her and let things play out. We arrived in England on the 19th just one day after the royal wedding. A car met us at the airport and took us to Grosvenor House, which was one of the Dawn's establishments, but well guarded for all that. There were thousands of happy drunks on the streets, with people partying and enjoying festivities. 
so it looked quite natural to have guards outside. About 2 p.m. the next day, I was instructed to escort Li Hua to the Don's main London venue, Portland Place. It was built on the same plan as a similar building he had in Macau, so I knew the layout. After all, I had helped design it. We knew of the establishment, of course, and what it was used for. But what could we do? I mean, private citizens getting together for conversation and conviviality. We had no proof of anything else. Meeting other with Bao was unexpected. I was there sort of a former insecurity guard for my brother, who uh, uh, to attend a high-level meeting where uh, uh, Bao was supposed to be uh, escorting uh, informant uh, Liwa into the meal room. He was clearly worried for her. I knew she was to be disposed of immediately uh, after she passed on any information considered valuable. This was my chance to break from the family once for all. I told him uh, what I knew, that once she left the meeting, the, she would be taken by other guards who are acquainted with disposing of young women discreetly. Huang had only told me what I had expected, but knowing he would help made it easier, although we had little time for careful planning. The usual uh, Dedan housekeeper had planned the party at Portland Place very carefully, with magnificent food and wine being served on the rooftop against the London skyline. But with so many high-profile businessmen arriving at the same time, all with their own security guard, uh, it, cre it created a good deal of confusion. Some of them had been unaware that Triad Dragonhead would be there and decided to leave straight away. Uh, many of the Triad bosses uh, were very uh, wary of each other. I suddenly realized that my brother Wang had, was filtering off those who were interested to meet with uh, Hiwa while I was supposed to uh, usher uh, other guests to a rooftop party. I was just ushering Li Hua into the car, ready to go to Portland Place. When I got a call to say there had been a change of plan, we were to stay where we were. I had no chance to speak with Huang, and could only assume that he would be there, accompanying Brother Wang and the Don. Huang had met with us briefly, and in exchange for cooperation demanded dip diplomatic immunity and police protection. So we had agents outside all three of DJ's London establishments. The party on the rooftop of Portland Place was going well when I suddenly get a call from my brother Wang. Uh, I was supposed to drive Dishay and uh, two other special guests to Gothina House. They don other secure venue uh, where he had built a special room in the basement, especially for high-level meeting. So I immediately guess it's where uh, Liwa would be interrogated. 
I was escorted into a highly secured room down on the basement level and recognized Wang Ho and Donald Johnson, who often made the celebrity pages at social gatherings. Then two other men came in. They were Asian and wearing expensive clothes and jewelry. They began asking questions. I gave answers, some true and some, well, just rubbish, just to make it sound good. I gave them names, lots of them. I knew they would check, but I prayed I would not be around to suffer the consequences. Then, my masterstroke. <laughs> I had smuggled in a few Alka-Seltzer tablets into a handkerchief, and on the excuse of blowing my nose, gulped a mouthful, and with my handkerchief to my face, began to chew. <laughs> of course, I began to foam at the mouth. The men were unsympathetic and even disgusted. They got me out of the room as fast as they could. Wouldn't even let me pick up my bag, which had my new phone in it. <laughs> it was a very cheap Nokia 105, the kind that ISIS terrorists use as phone bombs. I had made plenty for Mr. Ho in the past and used them as retribution for punters who either could not or would not pay their debts. Just to be on the safe side, I had sewn it into the lining of the bag, so it was almost imperceptible, even when the bag was open. I made sure I was somewhere near when they hustled her out of the door and said I would take over security. Huang was there to make it official and accompany the guard to escort her to the bathroom. As soon as he was out of sight, I punched in a security code to lock the automatic meeting room door. I had already changed the default settings for the inside from the control room. Now the doors could only be opened from the outside, and I was the only one with the code. The guard had waited outside the bathroom door, so a moment later I ran out, calling out, Fire! Fire! Only to be met by Huang, who ordered the guard to leave in order to alert the domestic staff of fire in the floors above. We both ran through the corridor and then up to the ground floor with Huang using flares to set off the fire alarms. The noise was instantly deafening. I was doing the same, calling out, Fire! Fire! while actually throwing out smoke bombs. Within minutes it was everyone for themselves, evacuating the building as fast as possible. Total chaos. Needless to say, all the staff ran for their lives, literally. In fact, all found it ironic afterward that none of the dedicated staff ran to the panic room to see if Dichet or any of others were okay. <laughs> well, that's not strictly true. The security guards at the gate entrance were doing their job by not allowing the fire brigade in in case they were imposters. Even though by now smoke was coming out of all the windows. Even we were fooled for a while. It was a case of, while there was smoke, there was no fire. At front entrance, I issued order to the security guard saying that all members of the meeting room were safely evacuated out the back. I now had the opportunity to ring the trigger number on Li Hua's phone which of course was still in Li Hua's bag locked in the meeting room. 
One of our agents was in the crowd that was gathering outside the premises, curious to watch the fire. He said that one of the domestic supervisors appeared to do a head count and was satisfied that all the staff had got out. Of course, due to the secrecy of the meeting itself, outside of Huang and Boa, nobody knew who had attended, where they were, and even less, how to get them out. It was crazy, bedlam. Police, ambulance, staff running out. So when we met up with Bao, we just walked out together and joined the crowd. It was a very small bomb, so hardly created any noise or disruption outside of the meeting room. But of course, inside, well, there would have been no escaping it. After all, I had spent many years learning my craft. I had been a dedicated employee, but no more. And I have been a dedicated family member, but no more. Since providing that story, Lai Hua and Boa have been supplied with new identities as part of the Witness Protection Program. However, Lai Hua and Boa were able to give us a good deal of very useful information about the way money was laundered through supposedly legitimate avenues, such as jewelry shops, clothing stores, and pharmaceuticals. Huang Wang also asked for diplomatic immunity and is in hiding under police protection. Bioemergency services were called to the Portland Place residence of billionaire Donald T. Johnson tonight. Staff evacuated the building when the alarm went off, but firemen on the scene could find no evidence of fire. It is suspected that the alarm may have been triggered by faulty wiring. Miss Judith Seven, Mr. Johnson's private secretary, said that Mr. Johnson was not available for questioning and that the matter would be dealt with by his own personal security team. You have been listening to Minnows and Big Fish by Leah Lynn. Produced by Brianda Cross. Performers, narrators, Patrick O'Callaghan, Toby Chittenden. Interpol, Richard Edwards. Lehua, Anita Roy Dobbs. Bao, Karim Cronfly. Huang, Reynard Leboeuf. If you would like more information about this episode, previous ones, as well as others to come, please go to ProgressiveMurderMysteryPodcasts.com and of course we would love a nice review for this one. Thank you.